Good morning. This is Genevia. And this is Jennifer. And you are tuned into Soap Talk, where candid conversations cleanse the mind, heal the heart, and encourage the spirit. If you are tuning into our YouTube channel, please click the like and subscribe button so that you can get our push notifications when we post new episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific. You can also find us at our website, www.letsoaptalk.org on Anchor or anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And last but not least, do not forget to visit us on all of our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So today you are tuned in to our uh, 21st episode. We actually Yay. counted this time. <laughs> 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 and, uh, but uh, it's called The Persecuted Church, Past, Present, and Future. So um, if you tuned in with us last week, we want to thank you for tuning in to us uh, to uh, with our spouses. We had our episode with our spouses last week talking about thankfulness and appreciation for them. So uh, we were very appreciative of them coming on. We had a great time, a lot of laughs. Yeah, it was a lot, a lot of, of fun. Yeah, laugh and uh, love and, and light. You know, it was just, it was very <laughs> beautiful. So um, I'm thankful for those. But um before, before we get into our episode, we just want to thank you so much for joining us. And now let's soap talk. Thank you, sis, for that beautiful introduction. Um, however, we are, we are truly humbled um, to have a very special guest on this morning uh, with us to discuss the persecuted church. But before we introduce him, let's get into the scriptural guidance for this episode. Uh, please grab your Bible. If you have a phone and you have a Bible app on there, please uh, grab that as well. Um, if not, just follow along. Uh, the scripture is from Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 10. And it is, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jennifer, for reading our scriptural guidance. Um, and I, I think that is going to be one of the scriptures that is going to set the precedence for this uh, episode. Uh, but now I would like to introduce you to our honored guest. Today we have Brother Sahili. Um, so yes. thank you again for joining us. He has been a previous guest, so he is not a stranger anymore. Like my mom said, if you've been to the house once, in the second time you come, you're not a visitor. You you you're relative now. You family. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we just thank you so much for coming on with us today. And um, you know, did you? How's your morning been so far? Uh, I mean, morning is great. I get to start it this way, so uh, there's no greater way to start the morning by sharing the gospel. So, Amen. Amen. Everything is well. Amen. Thank you for checking in, Brother Sahili. Um, and we're going to start off um, this interview with a personal insight question, and it's going to be, how did you get into ministry? What brought you to ministry? Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. So, um, as you know, I said in, in previous uh, conversations and, and discussions, when, when I was born, my mother and father, they were already members of the church, uh, baptized at the age of eight. And just the way boys are socialized in the church, um, sometimes it, it's it's a disadvantage uh, for, for, for girls, uh, but oftentimes for boys in, in churches of Christ. As soon as we are baptized, our grooming begins for for ministry. So, I remember at the age of, of eight, you know, nine and ten years old, there I was in services on Sunday, either praying or reading scripture or working around around the communion table or just 
just whatever it was. Um, and so then at the age of 12, uh, my preacher, uh, Brother J.M. Butler, he, uh, he had me do uh, my, my first sermon at the, at the age of 12. So it was actually through, we had something in the Bay Area called the First Sunday Youth Fellowship. And this was a program that was designed for uh, teenage boys all across Northern California to have an opportunity to get before an audience and work on their scripture reading, their praying ability in public and, uh, and, and even leading songs and, and preaching as well. So tender age of 12, I preached my first, first sermon and, and um, that's just how that went. But like I said before, that was, it was just a logistical, a logistical thing. I never had any idea that I would actually become uh, a, a gospel preacher of a, of a congregation. In actuality, I'm still kind of in trouble with my wife because right before we got married, she made clear, she was like, you're not trying to be a preacher, right? And I said, absolutely not. That's not part of my, I'm not headed in, in that direction. But uh, once I was, you know, fully converted to Christ shortly after or, or shortly before my 22nd birthday, um, I really, I was just doing a lot more stuff. So I was definitely doing workshops. I was teaching, teaching the youth, teaching various adult classes had various classes across uh, my neighborhood in, in San Francisco. And one thing just kind of led to another. And then one, one day, uh, my preacher at the time was Brother James E. Austin. He asked if I could fill in uh, one Sunday night. So I did that. And then that turned into, hey, can you pre preach every, you know, can you preach like once a month every, um, once a month on Sunday nights. So that turned into like the, uh, PM sermon once a month on on Sundays, and then that kind of manifested into, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Can you can you preach for me on on Sunday? I, I won't be here. So it just kind of gradually started to grow, and then other preachers across, uh, you know, the Bay Area, if they were going out of town or things of that nature, they would they would call me and just ask if I could come fill in for them. So it was really. Just, you know, I, I'll pinch hit here or there. I, I don't have a congregation. I'll, I'll preach for whoever needs me, but I'm not trying to become a preacher. And then out of the blue, uh, Brother Doris Pitts, who had been the minister of the West Oakland Church of Christ for uh, at least 50 years, he called me and said, what do you think about becoming the, the minister over here? And I mean, my mind was blown to the point to where I said, I think I said something like, all right, let me, uh, let me get back to you. And I never even called him back. And then some, somehow my father got involved and he called me and said, look, from what I'm understanding, you have Brother Pitts in a, in a bind. He asked you a question and you haven't gotten back to him. And I'm like, how did you get involved in this? Like, I, you know, he was, he asked me. Um, so I called Brother Pitts back, uh, the late Brother Doris Pitts called him back and we had conversations about it. And then we had three, three meetings because just from a doctrinal position, um, we had a lot of differences. And so after those three meetings, uh, he said, well, I, I understand where we are, but I, I still want to have you become the, the new minister of the West Open Church of Christ. And I believe that was the last Sunday in 2001 that I officially became the minister of the West Open Church of Christ. And now it's almost 20 years later. So I, I had, I would, I would say it's probably a non- traditional entry. I was not that person that, that grew up or, or went to seminary or, or, or 
you know, theology school to become a preacher. All, all of my training came, came strictly through, through the church. Um, and, and all I can say is that apparently it was God's will because everything that I tried to do to derail, you know, that God just always protected it and continued to cultivate it. And so the way that I feel as, as a preacher, um, he's, he has given me the assignment of, of, of the West Open Church of Christ for whatever reason. And, and when he feels that it, that time is up, then that, that time will be up. But, but as of now, uh, just wait, the base, based on how my life has been uh, structured and cultivated by God, clearly the West Open Church of Christ was something that he, he assigned to me in my Christian walk. And that's how I entered formal ministry uh, of a congregation. Amen. That's, that's interesting. I'm glad you made mention to that because uh, I know a lot of times we try to fight God's will, but no matter what we do, it's inevitable, right? <laughs> so I'm glad you, you said that because uh, that's very relatable to those people that feel like they're struggling out there. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. The Jonah effect, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> More than Jonah, Moses did the same thing. <laughs> I find myself though, like, uh, nope, I don't want to do it. God, are you sure you want me to do this? He's like, uh, yes. <laughs> are you sure you're going to do it? <laughs> so, okay, well, our next question is going to be um, well, what is the biblical definition of persecution? Biblical definition of persecution. Um, yeah, that that's a uh, that's that's a good question as well. I mean, we have the the Old Testament concept of of persecution, and then it seems to take a a, a more drastic turn uh, when we find ourselves in in the New Testament when we're looking at this this term this uh, concept of of pers persecution. Uh, in the New Testament, it comes from this this Greek word uh, diogmas diogmas. Um, and, it, and it really centers itself around the essence of, of being harassed by, by, by troubles and, and pain uh, and, and just feelings of, of deep discomfort. And then from a biblical perspective, all of this is for, is for the cause of, of Christ. But it's really just this, this notion of, of being harassed for, for the purpose of, of, of being a, a baptized believer and, and follower um, in Christ and, and persecution is is not about just what we can withstand. It wouldn't be persecution if we could tolerate uh, the pain. That when we're talking about persecution, it's something that does it, it it harasses us. It is it can be physical pain, it can be emotional pain, but it's definitely something that that stands out for us. I also uh, like to connect when we're talking about persecution. Uh, James chapter one verse twenty seven, where the Bible talks about uh, pure religion and undefiled is to to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And that word affliction there really, really paints a, a vivid picture. Uh, and it, and it, it kind of puts someone in, in a condition of being in a situation where they're in a room and it feels like all four walls are closing in, right? So that's, a, that's another way to understand persecution where you almost feel like you're, you're in a condition or a situation and, and there's no way out. And that emotional pressure, that psychological pressure, that spiritual pressure can get to a place where, where it feels almost just overwhelming and overbearing. 
And at that moment, that's, that's our but God moment. I think God likes to move us into situations to where the only way out that, that, we, can, that we can see is through him. Like before God's going to move us to that next level, we're, we're, we're built to experience some level of persecution. He's not going to allow us to, to progress or advance to the next level of life or the next level of ministry or the next level of spirituality without being able to, to navigate and, and manage the, the current test um, of, of persecution. But it's really that, that, that harassment of, of the, those pains, whether they're emotional or physical, and, and those walls just closing in. So that, that, that's how I would describe and define uh, this, this concept of, of persecution. And, and even, even within that, if we're talking about Galatians 5 and uh, around 16 through 18, where sometimes persecution is not always something that's happening from an external perspective. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're spirit, we're soul, we're flesh, but we know that our spirit and our, our flesh are contrary. So oftentimes this persecution is an internal battle where we have a war going on between our flesh and our spirit. And, and so we can be walking up and down the street and no one even has an idea or inclination of, of how much persecution and how much turmoil we're actually going through because our flesh is going after one thing and our spirit is, is trying to hold that at bay. So as Christians, we, we have this persecution dynamic on a, on a, dual, a dual platform. Uh, we have it for, for those who are, are persecuting Christians externally. And then we also have to deal with our own uh, internal struggles that, that show up as, as persecution as well, because the, the flesh can never, can never be tamed. So that, that's a 24-hour a job just in relationship to that form of, of persecution. And I think just in terms of the biblical definition, it's important for us to understand that it, it includes external forces as well as internal forces. Amen. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, the next question, first and foremost, that, that was a really deep response, the internal battle of a Christian, um, yeah. which I can attest to for sure. Um, and then the external pressure, um, which is which is heavy, like you said, almost to the point of not being able to, to cope with it um, because of it's so heavy pressing. Um, uh, I do agree with you, Brother Sahili, about um, when when we're in that zone. I know Jennifer and I believe she told me that uh, Lauren was the one who told this to her, but that's your growth zone. That's where yeah. you experience your growth. That's like you say, you go to your next level because he is pushing you closer and closer and closer to him and, and the more he pushes you the less of yourself is in you and you're putting more of him in you so you're you're going toward the path that he wants you to go so i agree yeah. absolutely absolutely um next question is going to be and you kind of touched on this too um why were and are christians persecuted because i think for um the most part because we live in, in North America and we don't see like a severe form of persecution, um, we kind of put it out of our minds that there are still Christians around the world who are experiencing right now as we're speaking, severe and heavy persecution. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely it is. I mean, living in America, we have, we have a different 
we have a different vantage point. We're, we're in a situation here in America where, you know, just based on a, a context of, of privilege, we live in a nation to where if, if we're talking about a, a religious realm, well, if you say you're Christian in America, that's the religion that, that gives you a pass. There are some other religions where if you say you are this or that, then that may come with a different kind of uh, persecution and, and even discrimination. But somehow in America, um, and, and I think that it's, it's worthy of, of, of some very intense dialogue as well as to why here in America, uh, the professing of Christ does not come with the same level of at least outward vitriol and persecution as would be the case if you were in, you know, somewhere in the Middle East or in India or in just so, so many other places uh, in, the, in the world where Christianity does not come with the kind of privileged tag uh, that it does here, here in America. And I think even before I, before I address, you know, some of that, that question about, you know, why were and, and are um, Christians persecuted, I think it's also very important to, to express the fact that persecution is, is a real thing. And, and sometimes we, we can discuss Christianity and the fact that we are designed to be overcomers. We can discuss that to the point to where it sounds like um, as Christians, we, we can just be robotic, like something traumatic happens. Here comes the persecution. And, and because we're Christians, we're just supposed to be able to shake that off and move on to the next level. But persecution is, is about emotional, it's about emotional pain and psychological pain. Uh, and sometimes even that, that physical pain piece. And when we, when we actually look through the scriptures in terms of how, how uh, you know, people from Genesis to Revelation dealt with persecution, some of them felt like giving up. And so we have to make sure we don't get on a certain level to where if we see someone struggling through uh, kingdom persecution and, and, and they're, they're um, you know, not, not seeming to be as stable or, or on as solid ground as we think they should be, then we need to think about Moses. We need to think about Paul. We need to think about uh, Jeremiah, we need to think about Nehemiah, right? We need to think about men like like Daniel, the and Jonah, right? As you already brought up, um, Elijah. These were men where, through their persecution, part of them was was ready to give up. And so, and and God understands that that a, that a child of God can get to a point to where the persecution is so extreme that they want to give up. They, they want to find another way. I mean, Jesus, our, our example, the author and finisher of our faith, he finds himself there in, you know, in, in the garden of Gethsemane under extreme emotional persecution, spiritual persecution. He's having an, an internal struggle about what it's going to mean and, and how it's going to feel to actually bear this burden of persecution. So again, that's that great example of, of dealing with it internally as well as battling it externally because he knows he's already dealing with, you know, all of this pain of what, what it's going to mean and what it feels like to bear the sins of the entire world. And as we look at in, in, in Isaiah 53, not only did he have the sins of, of the world on his shoulders at that time, 
he had the sins of, of all of the world that existed before him. And he had the sins of all of the people of the world at that moment. And then all of the sins that were to come. I mean, we're talking about a burden that, that, is, that is just yeah. beyond anyone ever being able. This, so, so Jesus had my sins and my grief on his shoulders 2,000 years ago. Right. So it's like he 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 had the weight of every sin that that was ever to be um, committed. And what does he do? He asked his father, look, if there's another way. Yes. Is, is there another way? Please is, is, is there a way that this cup? Father God, is is there a way that this burden could be removed? So we have to really be careful. If Jesus Christ got to a point to where he was willing and, and actually asked his father, uh, can you remove this cup? <laughs> is is there another? Then if we see each other as, as men and women in the body of Christ struggling through our burden, struggling through our persecution. Now, this wasn't a situation where Jesus Christ was in the midst of sin. Right. We're not talking about that. Like, well, I'm going to balance out my persecution, you know, through sin. No, we're not talking about that at all. But but through that, you know, we, we have to be really careful not not to judge and assess each other because there are going to be some, some clumsy moments. There's going to be some moments of doubt. There are moments of anxiety and trepidation through persecution. And that's what makes it persecution. If it wasn't persecution, then it, all of those other things wouldn't, wouldn't go along with it. But in terms of, of why we are, um, why we were and why we are persecuted as Christians, I believe it's, it's simply because we're following the way of Christ. And normally, <clears throat> every, everywhere that you find just about in the world, Christianity is, is counter-cultural. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we saw in the first century. That's what we saw as, as, the, as Christianity spread all throughout the globe, all throughout the world. We saw Christianity showing up as, as a counter-cultural um, movement and a deep movement of, of spirituality. And so, you know, and, and, and when we look at the deepest forms of, of persecution that, that was happening uh, within the early church, it was, from, it was from the Hebrew people. So you just have to keep in mind. So you have, you, have, you know, Judaism or you have the, the Ten Commandment law system, you have the, the Levit Levitical priesthood system and, and, and just all that it means to be uh, a Hebrew person, and and this and this is their this is their history. This is their understanding to God. Now, now beginning with Abraham, God had already said, through your seed, it's through your seed that all all nations are going to be blessed. So God already had, of course, you know, based upon his his foreknowledge and predetermined counsel, he already had everything um, figured out. But just just think. So suddenly. Here we are in, in Acts chapter two, and, and, and Peter preaches the first gospel message to, to introduce the church into the physical world. Theologically and ethereally, it was, it, it was already there, but now Peter gets the opportunity to, to, to preach that message on that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, and then we see 3,000 people responding to that gospel message. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do, right? After being pricked in the heart, repent, be baptized, every one of you, name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and your children and them that are far off, 
even as many as the Lord your God shall call. And with many of the words did he testify and exhort to them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward or wicked generation. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them 3,000 souls. So this means that almost overnight, the Hebrew people go from a strictly Hebrew way of, of, of being, living, and existing to now suddenly Christ is the ultimate path. And now this is an invitation for everyone. So this was hard for Hebrew people to oftentimes swallow. So they became the most preeminent persecutors of Christians. They became the most preeminent persecutors you know, of the way. And in, in their formation of persecution, they really thought they were doing the will of God. They thought that these Christians had moved from a, a, a monotheistic, you know, uh, God religion to a polytheistic religion. So they were trying to shut all of that down because they, they felt that this was um, antithetical. So their motives in some regard, not always, but their motives to a degree were pure, but they were just being misled because they were refusing to embrace the gospel. So, so even the early church was dealing with a form of within persecution. The Hebrew people were more of a, of a, of a threat in regards to persecution than the Roman government was, right? And so, but, but, and so that's that first look at what it meant to be countercultural, where the Hebrew people now were introduced to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it was a threat to them because they viewed it as being against against their culture. Now, here in America, we're in a we're we're in a different realm because Christianity does not bring in uh, an immediate threat. It is not even viewed all the time as countercultural, and anytime we have Christianity not being viewed as countercultural, countercultural, then we need to ask ourselves what brand of Christianity are we actually preaching and are we actually practicing? Because if we were truly practicing an authentic first century version of Christianity, it would be highly offensive. And Christianity would not have the privilege that it currently has in America. Thank you. I, I, um, I was thinking about what you were saying about persecution and um, how it would bring true believers closer together, though, in the midst of that. Um, you were talking about judging or assessing someone else's um, struggle while yeah. through the persecution. Um, in my mind, you know, I, I would believe in my goal um, when met with that, if met with that type of persecution, would be to draw closer to my brothers and sisters as a support to one another to get through that together, you know? Um, and then you spoke on the brand of Christianity. Uh, that was that was really deep. Um, like you said, if we were practicing an authentic um, form of Christianity that mirrors our first, Christ, uh, first century brothers and sisters, um, yeah. it would be highly offensive. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's, a, that's something I've been, um, thinking heavily about um, because at some point 
there has to be a, a, a spiritual and mental shift on what what you will continue to follow after the ways of the world are the ways of Christ and um, I, I appreciate that that nugget and food for thought because um, that's definitely something I'm thinking about right now in my own walk. Amen. Amen. I agree. Thank you for that. I, um, one point I want to point out was um, you were talking about how they balance persecution through sin. You know, they they were trying to use their own sin as an excuse pretty much yeah. to, to yeah. say, oh, well, I'm being persecuted. Well, that actually go, and the reason why I brought that up is actually goes into our next question. Um, and so the next question is, can Christians claim to be persecuted anytime they are treated harshly or, or mistreated? So, you touched on it a little bit, but we're going to go into it a little bit more deeper. Yeah, no, that that's, um, you know, that that's a, that's an interesting premise. And I, I think just up front, it would be, it would be an emphatic no. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're, we're people and, and, and people are, pe people can be everything and anything. And so the, the one, the one thing that I, you know, I, I've studied different religions and, I've read different religious books. And the one thing that I really respect uh, about the scriptures, uh, the, the Bible, if you will, is it gives us the good, the bad, the ugly, and even the sadistic of society. The Bible lets us know how great we could be, how loving we could be. And then it also lets us know how murderous we can be. So, so God does not, he, he, he doesn't paint a picture of humanity as this utopia. He paints a picture of humanity needing a savior yes. and that savior is Christ. And so there are times where we can, we can, you know, get misaligned and, and we only want to move in, in the utopia uh, narrative or, or trajectory. And I think that's where America starts to fall, fall outside the confines of Christianity when we refuse to acknowledge the fact that no people can people can be ugly people can be mean and so because there are, are people that and and that's that's e that's even within the body of Christ okay so so in the first century everything was not peaches and cream inside the body of Christ uh, there there was persecution within the body of Christ there were Christians who were persecuting Christians just like from an Old Testament perspective. You, you have the nation of Israel with a, with a whole bunch of, of infighting. So oftentimes we don't, we don't even need the persecution of, of the world. We're, we're doing, uh, unfortunately, a well enough job persecuting each other in, in, the, in, the, in the body of Christ. So we, we can't say that any time we're dealing with persecution or a hardship, that that, that is a persecution that is because of our call um, in, into, into the Christian context. Now, let, let's just say that someone is, is mistreating me at school or on my job or, or in my family or in my community, and they don't even know I'm a Christian. Hmm. Now, how could, that, how could that persecution be for the cause of, of Christ? I, I remember we were in Bible class one night and, and a, a a, a scenario came up about someone like getting beat up on the street. And, you know, sometimes we create these ridiculous scenarios in, in the body of Christ. And so it was like someone is being beaten on the street. It's a Christian. 
can they can they defend themselves? You know, so this little pious this little pious notion started to arise within the conversation. Like, no, I, I would just let them beat me for the cause of Christ. Now that's absolutely ridiculous. This person doesn't even know you're a Christian. So how would that be taking this beating for the cause of Christ? Now, if we're talking about Stephen, where these people are actually coming after you because of what you profess. All right, now that is for the cause of Christ. But if someone doesn't even know that you're a follower of the way, that you're a disciple uh, of, of the king, that you, that, that you have been uh, transformed and transfigured by, by the Messiah, you can't call that persecution necessarily for the cause of Christ. Now, now God could be working something on the side to where now there's a testimony in that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we're not even willing to bring back our testimony, right? What we go through is designed to, for us to be able to share you know, with, with Christians. But he, even Paul said uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, 12 and, and 10, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, and, and persecutions and calamities. Uh, and, and he's helping us understand it's, it's, it's when we're weak that Christ is strong. Amen. Right? So if I'm not even willing to acknowledge how, how this persecution and even this prosecution is is setting me back or or really hurting me then how how could this be for the cause of christ but but every negative every bad thing that happens to us is is not connected to our christian persecution and then sometimes some of the persecution that we are dealing with we bring it on ourselves it's based upon decisions that that we have made when we started to 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 doubt god and, and things of that nature so no not not every form of persecution is for the cause of Christ. I agree. I agree. You touched on some really good points, especially um, I'm, I'm looking down because I'm, I'm taking notes. So I am paying attention. Okay. <laughs> but, um, uh, when you said um, it's when we're weak, Christ is strong. And a lot of people forget that being a Christian and being an obedient Christian and, and being an active and faithful member of the body it, it requires some hardships. And it's like you said, it's not all peaches and cream. It's not you know, all rainbows and unicorns. You know, it, it's a very, very, very difficult struggle. And sometimes you have your good days and sometimes you have your bad days. But um, all throughout that, uh, whether you're struggling or not, we're still supposed to be, um, you know, followers of Christ and try to display his light no matter what because we know at the end of the day we're going to be victorious no matter what so that concludes this portion of our series please tune in tomorrow as we go to the next part of our series thank you so much and have a great day